The Yampa River originates near Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and flows for 250 miles through the northwestern part of the state. Largely wild with dynamic flows, it's prized for its beauty and recreational value. The Cache-Laputa River, nationally designated as a wild and scenic river, is also a working river. Starting high in Rocky Mountain National Park, it drops 7,000 feet down a rocky canyon and flows through the cities of Fort Collins and Greeley. It connects with several reservoirs and provides municipal water supply, water for crop irrigation and local industry, and recreational opportunities. These two rivers, like many waterways in the West, face increasing pressures from population growth and climate change. In the past, with only intermittent water sampling available, it's been hard to know the true impact of human and environmental stressors. But now these rivers are an open book. Teams from CU Boulder and Colorado State University, working with several partners, have equipped the Yampa and the Pooter with a total of 20 water quality monitoring installations that deliver continuous data on multiple water quality parameters. The project is not without its challenges, but now with a wealth of data to drive decisions, the universities and their partners will be better equipped to address factors threatening the health of the rivers and protect these treasured waterways into the future. Hi everyone, welcome to Aquapod, where we share water monitoring stories from the field. I'm Helen Taylor, content manager with In-Situ. And I'm Carrie Caslow, In-Situ's application development manager for surface water. And our guests today are Kat Demeray and Sam Struthers. Kat is an environmental engineer at the University of Colorado Boulder, and Sam is field coordinator and data manager for the Ross Lab at Colorado State University. Both are part of an ongoing collaborative effort to continuously monitor water quality along the Yampa and Cache-Laputa rivers in Colorado to better understand the effects of land management and events such as wildfires on these important waterways. As the tip of the spear, so to speak, these two young scientists have been instrumental in getting multiple water monitoring stations up and running and maintaining equipment at the sites to ensure a continuous flow of high quality data that will be used to shed light on the health of the rivers, guide decisions on how best to protect them, and even support the use of carbon credit markets to incentivize climate-friendly utility infrastructure projects. But more on that later. First, Kat and Sam, welcome to Aquapod. Thanks Hi, Helen. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. You bet. We're excited to have you. So, Kat, let's start with the work you've been doing along the Yampa. Um, and I wonder if you could first just characterize the river for us, where it runs, its significance, and some of its challenges. Sure, Helen. The Yampa is one of my favorite rivers in Colorado. It flows from above the town of Steamboat Springs uh, through a reservoir called Stagecoach Reservoir, and then a smaller um, pond called Lake Catamount, and then through the city of Steamboat Springs, and then out through western Colorado. Um, the Yampa is one of the more wild um, rivers in Colorado. It doesn't have a lot of damming structures on it compared to other rivers in the state, um, and it's honestly just so beautiful um, where it flows through Steamboat Springs um, and out through towards Utah is just stunning. And what are some of the challenges that it faces? So along the Yampa River, there's a lot of ranching that is happening. Um, it's a, a big part of 
the economy in that part of the state and along with ranching can come nutrient loading into the river. Um, so when you have cattle um, or livestock um, that can cause um, leaching of different nutrients um, into the waterways. Um, agriculture does this as well with nitrogen and phosphorus um, from fertilizer runoff. And that some of that is happening along the Yampa as well, but a lot of it is coming from ranching. There are also some recreational runoffs, um, like from a large golf course that sits on the edge of the town of Steamboat Springs that can also contribute um, to some nutrient problems in the river. The Yampa has also faced a lot of issues with temperature exceedance. It can warm beyond um, where it's supposed to be um, through the town of Steamboat Springs. And they have struggled to find a way to get the temperature back down to a level that is sustainable for um, the fish and the wildlife that rely on the Yampa. But you guys just developed a pretty sizable monitoring program, you know, along the Yampa River. So can you tell us a little bit about what that monitoring program entails? Maybe how many sites you've installed, where they're at, you know, the different equipment pieces you've used and the parameters you're looking at? Absolutely, Carrie. So we have 10 um, of in-situ sons uh, along a sizable stretch of the Yampa from above Stagecoach Reservoir, um, kind of close to the town of Yampa, um, where the river starts. And we have some monitoring spots near some wastewater dischargers um, above the reservoir. And then we also wanted to capture what's coming out of Stagecoach Reservoir. So we have a couple more sons um, below the reservoir, above and below Lake Catamount as well, and then several through the town of Steamboat Springs. So we're hoping to capture what's happening all along that stretch, both what's coming out of the wastewater in the towns, what the river is like before and after the reservoir, before and after Lake Catamount, and then what is it like through the town of Steamboat Springs through the urban area. And we're monitoring several different parameters within situ sons, including chlorophyll A, um, which can be linked to nutrients such as nitrogen and phosphorus. Um, we're also monitoring temperature. As I said, that's a concern along the Yampa. We're looking at turbidity, conductivity, and then fluorescing dissolved organic matter, which can be linked to total organic carbon. It sounds like you're going to be collecting an awful lot of data, and I think you're collecting some grab samples to go along with that, right? Correct. Yeah. So along with uh, collecting all of those parameters every 15 minutes, um, we also are collecting grab samples at each of those 10 sites um, twice a week. So we have some lab analyzed data to correlate with um, in situs continuous data that we're getting as well. So we have a wealth of data um, that we're collecting along that river, which is kind of unprecedented um, and really neat. Yeah, which leads us to what exactly are you going to do with all of that data? I mean, it's just so much. <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, so along with 
sharing a lot of that data with both the town of Steamboat Springs, the Friends of the Yampa, um, the CSU Ag Extension Office, and other collaborators who might have interest and use in that data. Um, our team is using that data to build a model to better understand how land management practices are affecting all of those parameters and the general water quality along the, the Yampa River. So are you looking at uh, best practices just related to like these grazing type of farms or are you looking at the agricultural areas as well or a combination or what is it that you're looking at, I guess, application wise? We are hoping to better understand how certain land management practices can improve the water quality. Um, so for example, how would livestock exclusion in certain parts along the river um, improve some of those parameters, um, some of that um, nutrient loading in the river? Um, and there's a general understanding that riparian restoration, livestock exclusion, some of these practices will improve water quality, but we don't necessarily know to what extent or how much, um, not in a way that is measurable or, or attributable. Um, and it's definitely a big challenge to do that. Um, so we're hoping that with all of this data, we're, we're better able to understand how those um, practices might be affecting the water quality. That's great, Kat. Um, now, Sam, let me let me switch over to you here. Um, as I mentioned at the start, you're with the Ross Lab at CSU, and we talked with your boss, Professor uh, Matt Ross, on this podcast nearly three years ago now, I think, about what was then a new partnership amongst the university, the city of Fort Collins, and in situ to install multiple continuous water monitoring stations along the Cache River as it flows through town. Um, before we talk about how this phase builds onto that original project, can you also now just tell us a little bit about the Poudre River and uh, the critical role it plays in Northern Colorado? Yeah, so the Cache River uh, begins up near Cameron Pass and flows through about six or seven reservoirs um, that store a various amount of drinking water for municipal users, uh, which is uh, the city of Fort Collins and Greeley and Thornton. And then um, it flows down the canyon, which is uh, a wild and scenic river, and then hits the city of Fort Collins where um, the river is kind of chopped and screwed and put into a bunch of smaller reservoirs and then put on ag fields and then returned into the Poudre River um, and ultimately flows all the way to Greeley and then into the South, South Platte River. And there are a lot of people using it for different yes. purposes. And a lot of demand. Yes. Yeah, the upper, what we consider the upper hash of Poudre is primarily used um, to store drinking water for the cities. And then as it uh, comes down the canyon, um, many, many uh, 
ag users pull water out and then return water. Not to mention beer producers. I think that would be. <laughs> so please tell us a little bit then about the monitoring project, the extension of the original project and what's going on there at the Pooter at that you've been involved with. Yep. Yeah. So our, our initial project, which you spoke to my boss, Matt, about, um, covers essentially the city of Fort Collins. And so we have uh, about eight sites along the Kashlapooter River in the city of Fort Collins. And we wanna measure essentially the impact that the city has on the river. So whether that's um, urban runoff or um, master planning efforts that the city of Fort Collins is undertaking, but also we wanna understand the impact of agriculture in the surrounding area and essentially understand um, how different the Poudre River is as it flows through the city of Fort Collins. And then in the last year, we've extended that network um, up into the canyon to essentially help the cities of Fort Collins and Greeley uh, make decisions about their drinking water supplies um, from the sense of water quality. So Sam, are you then monitoring the same parameters that CAT is monitoring on the Yampa then and the Pooter as well, or is there a difference there between the projects? Yeah, so initially uh, the sensors that we had were kind of the standard four that institute cells. So we measure uh, pH, conductivity, temperature, turbidity, and dissolved oxygen. And so when we started partnering with CU, um, we wanted to add some of those parameters that they're also interested in. So uh, fluorescent dissolved organic matter and chlorophyll A. And so at a few sites, we have actually a splitter with two different SONs. Um, so that we can measure all of those. And then at a couple sites, we use the new um, Aquatrol 700 to measure all six of our desired parameters. That's awesome that you guys are using the new product for sure. I, I hope you are enjoying using that. And I hope you, you feel like it's just an extension of the platforms that we already had. And it, it's same feel and everything. Can you speak to that a little bit? Is it any yeah. different than it was before? <laughs> Well, it's it's really nice not having to strap two two songs together. <laughs> it fits it fits down a four inch pipe much much more easily. Um, yeah, it's been really great to use. Um, very easy to use, and and we have some undergrad technicians that we employ, and so them, you know, working with uh, Aquatrol five hundred and then hopping over to a seven hundred is is super easy for them, which has been great. Oh, good. So now you guys both talked about using the FDOM sensor, so the fluorescent dissolved organic matter sensor. Why are you guys using that sensor in particular? What What is that parameter going to be telling you in your research? Yeah, so one of the larger impacts to the upper basin in the Cache is the 2020 Camera Peak wildfire um, that burned about 100 to 150,000 acres of the Cache watershed. And so with that fire, obviously we have a lot of excess nutrients and carbon that's now been released into the stream. So we're really interested in how does dissolved organic carbon cycle in a reservoir and how can it impact um, algal blooms and thus water supplies for the, for the reservoirs. So that's kind of how we use FDOM. So again, Sam, you and Kat are collecting a lot of data and we've talked about, you know, using this data for models, but where is this data initially going? Are you telemetering the data or just collecting it internally in the SANS? Yeah, so our, our sites that are in town where we have cell service, we can use uh, VooLinks to 
um, send ourselves the data and use HydraView um, primarily to store uh, a lot of that data. Um, our site's up the canyon, however, there's no cell service, and so we go and manually download that data. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are you going to do with this data and how are you know some of these cities that you've talked about going to use this data? So like Fort Collins and Greeley and others. Yeah, so kind of the pie in the sky goal is to build a decision support system for these cities so that they uh, know when to release water or, or when to not release water, right? If there's an algal bloom in a reservoir, you don't wanna be sending that down. Um, to your water intake. Um, so kind of building that system is, is kind of our, our goal. And then in, on the lower side of things, um, our goal is to monitor the Poudre River and then also help the city plan um, maybe restoration projects within the city or identify areas of the Poudre River that um, need a little bit of extra help. We're talking about the rivers, but you've both mentioned the reservoirs associated with the rivers. Um, Tell us a little bit about how the monitoring ties to those reservoirs as well. Sam, if you want to start. Yeah, so our project also focuses on the remote sensing of uh, reservoirs, and you can get a lot of information from that. And also you can use open data available from Landsat in the Sentinel uh, missions. And so what we can do is pair that data with um, some of our grab sample data and then also be measuring the outflow of the reservoir to see if the water quality that we're measuring remotely on the reservoir is actually propagating downstream. Okay. And Kat, are you doing something similar? We are a little less focused on the reservoirs as they are on the pooter, um, just because there are fewer reservoir systems along the AMPA. There's just the one um, at Stagecoach. We are interested in how that's affecting the water quality. Obviously, having a reservoir along a free-flowing river is going to change um, how some of those parameters are moving through the water. Um, so we're curious um, about what's happening both above and below the reservoir. Are the nutrients settling? How is it affecting the temperature? Um, but not quite at the same level as they are on the Poudre. So if there was expansion of these projects in the future, do you foresee utilizing any any equipment in the reservoirs themselves, you know, to kind of augment the remote sensing data that you're collecting too? Yep. Yeah, we've talked about uh, putting some buoys in the reservoirs um, to actually measure um, you know, chlorophyll A or uh, turbidity in the river in the reservoir at a given moment, and then be able to match that data set directly. So, Kat, why now? What was the impetus to undertake such an ambitious um, monitoring network um, construction project uh, and start collecting this real-time water quality data? Yeah, Helen, there's probably a couple different reasons why the timing um, works out right now. Part of it is that in situ's equipment is fairly novel. Um, so being able to monitor these parameters 
accurately in real time is is an emerging technology. Um, so we definitely wanted to take advantage of that and understand how that works, how well it works um, over time. You know, you're collecting all this data, the sensors can foul, how can we, you know, adapt our, our machine learning model to better handle that, um, to, get accurate readings um, of the data in the river. And another reason why we are taking on this project right now is because of the challenges that we're facing with climate change and the shifting hydrology um, in the state of Colorado. It's, it's even more important now than ever before to protect our water supplies and to better understand how we can preserve the quality of our water in our rivers and our reservoirs um, and to find alternative solutions to improving the water quality um, with the impacts of wildfire and uh, increasing agricultural practices and increasing temperatures. What are ways that we can preserve and improve the water quality in our rivers um, without increasing our emissions by building more and more treatment plants. Great. And Sam, what about for CSU? Why was it uh, the right time to um, expand on the network you already have? Yeah, so the 2020 wildfire was kind of the big impetus for the beginning of our uh, kind of upper reservoir decision support system. Um, however, I think a lot of the cities, once that program got going, saw the need for a decision support system. And it, it also coincides with some of the work that our group does for Northern Water, kind of looking at uh, water quality and water clarity in some of their reservoirs. And so it kind of just continues a lot of the work that we're already interested in, um, but keeps us grounded in water that we actually use in the city of Fort Collins. You're listening to Aquapod brought to you by In-Situ. This concludes part one of our episode on the CU-CSU River Monitoring Project. Please join us for part two and subscribe to the podcast on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen, share, and help us spread the word. This episode was produced by Helen Taylor and Carrie Caslow with a big assist from Josiah Homeland and I25 Productions. We look forward to bringing you more water monitoring stories from the field. Until then, take care out there.